Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 to 19. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to, your, to grace your head, and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, Let's lie and wait for an innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's switch them alive like the grave and, and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their path for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where everyone, where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away from the life of those who get it. Proverbs Chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Hi there, my name's Geoffrey Lynn. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Adelaide. Uh, and it's my great delight to welcome you once again as we come back to our second week in the series on Proverbs. 
As we get started, can I ask you please to make sure you have a Bible open in front of you? Um, what you'd find really helpful is to have a copy of the handout. Uh, it looks something like this this week. Um, it includes the passages on it, so I printed it there if that makes it easier for you to follow along. There's also a place for you to fill in some blanks and uh, a detailed outline that will make sense to you. It'd be great to have that there. Uh, you'll notice on the top of the handout that it's, it, uh, it includes both the series title, uh, Ordinary Advice for Extraordinary Times, uh, but it also includes today's talk title, Choose Wisdom and Not Folly. Uh, Well, if you've been taking the read one chapter of Proverbs a day challenge that I issued last week, then by now you're up to about chapter five or chapter six. Uh, That's right in the middle of the second main section in the book of Proverbs. Uh, You'll see on your handout and on the screen at this point as well, a table that overviews the structure of the book. Um, I talked about this last week. Uh, You'll recall that chapter 1 is the introduction, chapter 31 is the conclusion, and in between there are two main sections, uh, one around instruction and one around the sayings, those kind of pithy one-liners. The readings that you've just heard were taken from the start and the end of section 2, from this long section called instruction. And I've chosen those two readings because they represent the two different types of literature in this part of Proverbs. Uh, lessons from a father to a son, uh, and then poems about lady wisdom. And that actually corresponds to what we're going to look at today. Point one on your handout, lessons from a father to a son. Point two, poems about lady wisdom and dame folly. And then point three, so what for us? Well, firstly then, lessons from a father to a son. Uh, The feel in chapter one, verses eight through 19, is of quite formal advice. Uh, One commentator, in fact, calls them lectures, Although, I've got to admit, that doesn't have great connotations. Uh, we all know the adolescent's complaint, stop lecturing me. Uh, that certainly springs to mind. The vibe, I guess, here is of a father and a son chat. Uh, if not in dad's study, well, maybe on a camping trip around a bonfire. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 19, that first reading is in two parts. The reason why we ought to pay attention in verses 8 and 9, and then the advice itself in verses 10 through 19. That corresponds to, corresponds to the two points on your handout. So firstly then, the reason to pay attention. The father's advice to his son begins with the critical component of motive, why he ought to pay attention. Now we all know, of course, that uh, your dad's saying, I'm your father, listen to me. Uh, that probably didn't work for you when you were a child, and I can say as a father now, that certainly hasn't worked uh, when the shoe's been on the other foot. And so verses 8 and 9 begin with a slightly different introduction. Let me read them again. Verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. If the language of verse 8 of instruction and teaching is too formal or too clinical to be compelling, verse 9 uses a wonderfully moving image, a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Now, I need to admit at this point that that probably doesn't do a lot for most teenage sons in 21st century Australia. So maybe the modern-day equivalent would be of wearing a champion's medal after winning the grand final. It's an image that says, this will look good on you. 
This will be your crowning glory. Now, remembering how the book of Proverbs began back in chapter 1, do you remember the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel? I found myself wondering, is this what Solomon said to his own son? Well, we're going to come back to that at the end of the talk. For now, it's important for us to realise that this is not just advice from a dad to a son, because did you notice in verse 8, there's a reference to mothers as well. And so presumably whatever is said here applies to daughters likewise. Well, verses 8 and 9 are the reason to pay attention. What's the advice itself? You'll see it's listed there for on your handout. Company shapes character. Company shapes character. The first most important lesson that the father wants to communicate to the son is about the company that we keep about how at every stage of life, and not just youth, our decisions influence our destiny, for better or for worse. And the warning is stated pretty bluntly there in verse 10. Verse 10, my son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Now, warning is elaborated in verses 11 through 18 before the conclusion comes in verse 19. Uh, verse 19, Proverbs chapter 1. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. What the father is saying is that you think you'll enjoy the lifestyle you're choosing. It's enticing after all. Uh, That's why the warning is necessary. But in reality, you're slowly dying on the inside. So here's the big idea for today's talk. It's a refrain that you're going to hear over and over again. The big idea for today's talk, wisdom is learned in community. Wisdom is learned in community. See, verses 10 through 19 are basically describing a gang that sweeps up impressionable young young men to its cause. It's a gang that trades on our desire for ease and comfort over hard work and sacrifice. There are pictures throughout of get-rich-quick schemes. But it also trades on our desire to be accepted. And the community that we belong to will shape the kind of people we become. Proverbs 1 is saying that we discover who we are in community, not on our own. No matter how independent our personalities might be, no matter how immune to corruption we think we might be. Well, there's the first bit of advice. Lessons from a father to a son, that your company shapes character and that wisdom is learned in community. So come then to the second part, point two, poems about Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly. And here the reading comes from chapter 9, which is the end of this second major section in the book of Proverbs. I picked this passage because the message is exactly the same as in chapter 1, although it's told in a very different style. See, rather than a formal lecture, chapter 9 is more an epic poem. If it were set to music, you might say that this is a great song, maybe a power ballad. And what the author is doing is trying to personify the choice that lies between wisdom and folly. 
Wisdom and folly. Hence the title of today's talk, Choose Wisdom, Not Folly. Now, we saw this dilemma back in, chapter, in talk one last week. Do you remember we saw how being academically bright doesn't necessarily mean that you are wise? Uh, neither does the word fool here mean stupid or clown. Rather, the book of Proverbs is saying that what matters in life is good choices. And so chapter 9 is in three parts. In verses 1 through 6, there are the words of lady wisdom. In verses 13 through 18, there are the words of dame folly. And sandwiched in between, verses 7 through 12, well, it's the content curator's editorial. And that's the reason why on your handout you can see that I've laid it out in the way in which I have to emphasise the different uh, components to this chapter. Well, what I'd like you to do is to come and listen in. Listen in as Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly take turns at showcasing their wares, as they issue their invitation to join them at their table. You ready for it? Verses 1 through 6 and then verses 13 through 18. Let me start with verses 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She's set it up on seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She's sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point in the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food, drink the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. There's the invitation of Lady Wisdom. And so in verses 13 through 18, we then hear the alternative, the invitation of Dame Folly. Pick it up in verse 13. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly. Did you feel the contrast? See, Lady Wisdom's house offers a lavish banquet. There is a spectacular dining room, magnificent views across the whole city. There is a sumptuous feast with the finest of fare. Whereas Dame Folly's house comes across as shady, and just a little bit seedy. Verse 17 speaks of stolen water, of food eaten in secret. That feels illicit. It conjures up images of the shadowy underworld. And it's alluring because you have no claim on it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You could never afford it. 
By contrast, what Lady Wisdom promises is so much better. Verse 5, eat my food, drink the wine I have mixed, she offers. See, hers is not stolen, hers is not contraband. What she offers is hers to give, made with tender loving care. And so the content curator pronounces the fate of those who dine with Dame Folly. And it's chilling and sinister. If this poem were a song, I'd imagine a modulation at this point to a brooding minor key. Verse 18, little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. It's exactly the same conclusion as chapter 1, verse 19. It takes away the life of those who get it. There are the two possibilities, Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly. But here's the great surprise in chapter 9 of Proverbs. Did you notice that their initial invitations were identical? Verse 4, let all who are simple come to my house, says Lady Wisdom. Verse 16, let all who are simple come to my house, says Dame Folly. Their invitations are identical. And that means that the hearer, uh, who is incidentally described as being simple or having no sense, uh, that could mean gullible or it might just mean that they are unformed. The hearer has a choice to make. Who are you going to listen to? Lady Wisdom or Dame Folly? Do you see what makes it so hard? Their invitations look so similar. Both seem to offer something good. Neither makes any mention of cost. Both seem so easy. So the question is, how do you know who is calling you? How do you know which voice to listen to? How do you know which house to enter? This is the challenge of Proverbs chapter 9. Fortunately, I think the answer was back in verses 7 through 12. In that middle section between Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly, because here the content curator says, the way you tell the difference, you need others who know better to guide you. Pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 9. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked invites incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous, they'll add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you're unwise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now, a couple of things to notice. Do you remember the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We saw that back in chapter 1. The key, I think, here, according to the content curator, lies in verse 8. And I've bolded it there on your handout to make it really obvious. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. 
it's saying that the difference between dining with Lady Wisdom, dining with Lady Wisdom or dying with Dame Folly comes in your willingness to hear correction from others. After all, the very definition of a mocker is someone who won't listen to a rebuke, who thinks that they're always right, that they know better than everyone else. Once again, remember the big idea of this talk. Wisdom is learned in community. Now, of course, no one likes to be rebuked or corrected. Uh, Calling it constructive criticism doesn't really help. So here's the diagnostic test of whether you're making wise choices whether you're choosing wisdom or folly in your life. This is the blank for you to fill in on your handout. The diagnostic test, how do you respond to rebuke? How do you respond to rebuke? Or to make it a bit sharper, according to verse 8, if you love the rebuker and their rebuke, Proverbs 9 says you are wise. And so to be as direct as I can be without knowing your specific situation, after this sermon finishes, will you get up off your couch and will you go and ask a Christian brother or sister if there is any need for them to rebuke you? Because according to Proverbs 9, the mark of a wise person is that they seek out correction even more than they are searching for praise. Now, I realise this is very hard. I'm going to pause for a few moments and try and think about how this plays out in our lives. Last week I mentioned that I've started writing my own parenting proverbs. Uh, Thank you to everyone else who has sent in your suggestions over the week. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to inflict any more on you today. What I will say today is that, um, well, it won't surprise you to hear that after 17 years of parenting, I've made the incredible discovery that none of my three children has ever been particularly fond of being corrected. When we've had to rebuke them over the years, their responses have ranged from angry defiance to stonewalling silence to heartfelt tears but none of them have ever been fond of being rebuked. Now, why do I say this? Well, it's to make the obvious point that everything they've learnt, they've learnt from me. I don't like being rebuked. I didn't as a child. Ask my parents if you want. I'm hardly any better as an adult. I don't like being rebuked and my kids and my wife will tell you that, unfortunately, I can still react just as badly. The word that Proverbs uses is foolishly. So it's no surprise that at times they do likewise because, once again, the big idea, wisdom is learnt in community. But on your handout, you'll see I've asked a question. What makes constructive criticism more palatable? 
What makes constructive criticism more palatable is when you trust the person giving it to you, when you know that they love you, when you can see that they practice what they preach. Now, speaking of preaching, uh, at the Bible college where I studied, a former principal was famous for starting sermon feedback sessions by walking into the room and saying, how did this sermon fail? That was the first question that he would ask. And so with that in mind, over the years, I try and ask members from all four gatherings of this church to give me feedback on each talk in a series. A big thank you at this point to all of those who have been so helpful over the years. Uh, Each year, I try and watch a video of myself preaching, uh, which is very, very painful. Although, um, can I just say, as you're watching this today, uh, spare a thought for me, I'm sitting in my lounge room with my wife and three kids trying to slink into the corner. My wife, Wendy, listens to all of my sermons, even if she's not there, and she gives constructive criticism after every single one. My honest confession, sometimes I'm less pleased to receive that feedback than others, but I know that she loves me, and I know that I'd be a fool to ignore her rebuke. To return to the conundrum of Proverbs that I alluded to before, Proverbs is a book of advice from a father to a son. So did Solomon dedicate this book to his son? At this point, I think a case study on Solomon would be useful. I say that because, in case you didn't know, Solomon had quite a lot of sons to instruct. The reason for that, and again, many of you will know this, Solomon had quite a lot of wives. 700, in fact, and another 300 concubines. You remember my comment earlier about how company shapes character? Despite God giving Solomon more wisdom than anyone in the world, do you remember last week he composed over 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs? Despite the fact that people travelled from the ends of the earth just to listen to him speak, You remember, of course, that famous adjudication between the two mothers arguing over whose baby it was? Despite his knowledge, Solomon lived like a fool. He made unwise choices throughout his life. See, Deuteronomy 17 was adamant that Israel's king ought never marry women who followed other gods, lest they lead him away from the Lord. Solomon ignored that advice, not once, not twice, but hundreds of times over. And what we learn from our case study on Solomon is that wisdom is not the same as obedience. And so this is the one and only time in this series that I'll talk about how Proverbs sets up a standard none of us can keep. Even Solomon couldn't. And that's why rebuke is so important. Thankfully, as Christians, Jesus promises that living by his wisdom, living his way, is a firm foundation. In fact, we're going to sing a song built on that very idea in just a moment to conclude. Jesus practiced what he preached. Jesus did what we could not. Jesus laid down his life. And so we know that he loves us.
Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, printed there on your handout. Everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Well, let me finish then. Point three, so what for us? One last time, today's big idea, wisdom is learned in community. The Bible is full of all sorts of expressions of this principle as it's played out in practice, some negative, some positive. For example, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, printed on your handout there. Paul says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Paul is not telling us to withdraw from the world. However, would we witness to it if we did? What Paul is doing is warning us of the risk of This is an image we all get. He's warning us of the risk of cross-contamination or infection. But the Bible doesn't just explain this principle negatively. It puts it positively about how wisdom is learned in community. Take, for example, the very famous Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9, again printed on the bottom of your handout. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If either of them fall down, the other one can help them up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. Wisdom is learned in community, and that community stretches across time and space. It includes those who preceded us, because despite all the rhetoric, our world has not changed one bit this year. Despite coronavirus, humankind is still fallen, Our world is still broken by our sin. And Jesus says he will build his church and nothing, nothing will prevail against it. And so in a very real sense, there is nothing new about these extraordinary times, which means we'd be very wise to listen to those who've already lived as godly disciples of Christ. Now, for that reason, uh, today I'm launching a competition uh, that's going to run over the next few weeks. Uh, This will be a bit of fun, and I hope you get into the spirit of it. Uh, Each week, I'm giving away a collection of great books from the worldwide Christian community. See, they're all wrapped up here in a nice little uh, display uh, item. Uh, Books from authors like C.S. Lewis and J.I. Packer, Tim Challies, Vaughan Roberts. Now, how do you enter this competition? Well... I'm inviting you to send in your favourite proverb from the book of Proverbs, along with why and how you've tried to apply it. And each week I'll choose one that I'll share with the rest of us for our encouragement. The way you enter that is through the website. There'll be a link in the chat and also on the bottom of your handout where you can go to submit your entries. Uh, One winner each week. Can I say that the best place to learn wisdom is not from authors out there. The best place to learn wisdom is in a local community. Or to put it slightly differently, the best community is the one that's here. That's why Tim Keller might be your favourite preacher, but he cannot be your pastor because he doesn't know you. And so he cannot love you the way someone in Adelaide will whom you might trust to give you a gentle rebuke. You need a local church 
in which you are fully known to help you make wise choices so you're not led astray. Today I want to ask you, how will you surround yourself with people who are willing to rebuke you? With people whose rebuke you will ask for and listen to and act upon because you know that they love you. Who are those people for you? Will you identify them? Then seek them out, even if by nature you're an introvert and private. Will you tackle with them the taboo or no-go topics that we're so often afraid to get help for, like lust or greed or malice or impatience? The bottom of your handout, I've included a discussion and reflection question. I'll include this every week. Uh, This is for you to think about on your own, perhaps talk about it in your household. Maybe join us over Zoom morning tea and chat about such things. You see the question there? Whose rebuke might you listen to? What's stopping you from asking for constructive criticism? Can I say that if you don't know where to start, ask us afterwards. Even if you're not in Adelaide, we'd love to help you find a local connection wherever you are in God's world. And finally, can I say, if you're in a position to give a rebuke, try and work out how you'll give it in such a way that it will be heard with the best chance of someone listening. You'll see a reference at the bottom of your handout there to an article called The Art of Rebuking. Now, this is something that I put together a number of years ago for a mag- Christian magazine. Perhaps you might download it from the website. Uh, again, there'll be a link on the chat to give you some thoughts on how it is that, if asked, you might do so in a way that encourages someone to keep turning to Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's been written for us and for our salvation. We pray that you might, by your spirit, strengthen us to make wise choices that we might live for the glory of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.